When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. It's another UNLV All Access podcast. Caleb Herring is with us, the former Rebel quarterback, Steve Cofield. All right, busy last couple weeks, and we just find out yesterday that, uh, well, we had some concerns about Bobby Petrino, fired up to get a great offensive mind, but interesting character, and he has now bailed on UNLV taking. The OC job at Texas A&M in the SEC for triple the salary of UNLV. Does that make it right? Does it make it right for the salary? Like, is that I, is that a justification where you just let Bobby Petrino off the hook? Like, hey, it's the SEC. What are you going to do, man? Kick him out of him. His salary got tripled. Yeah, I, I mean, from a business aspect, you can't. It, there's st- it's still wrong, and I think those justifications can be valid, but it's still. Um, you still do somebody wrong, you know, it's like, it's like meeting a new girl and, and having a current girlfriend and like bailing for the upgraded girlfriend. It's like, you still did the ex-girlfriend wrong. She's still going to be sad and miserable and there's no way to fix that. But for your own individual improvement, I guess you you can justify it. And that's, that's between him and his family. Um, so I'm I'm never going to knock anybody for taking a, a salary upgrade like that, but from the eyes and the lens of UNLV, he, we, as a program, you can't look at it any other way. It's, you did us wrong. Um, your word has to mean something. Uh, your commitment has to mean something, I think, going forward. And at some point, you pay for it. You pay for it uh, not being as valuable, whether it's 
you know, the next time you go to negotiate a coaching deal or your next contract, uh, there's a little caveat maybe to say like, hey, you got to stay in the for at least a year before any of this is valid or you, you, you we're not going to give you anything until you complete a year of service. Those things going forward could hurt you. So it could be a negative. But um, as a justification, you can't look at that number in this day and age and say he's not justified in, in looking for that kind of an upgrade and, and taking it. Um, it's still, in my opinion, uh, and this is me valuing honesty and loyalty in your word, um, whatever that word is, I think you got to look at it as it's a, it's a bad deal. It's a, it's a, <laughs> it's upsetting, I, I guess, in that, through that lens where like, Hey, you told us you'd do something. We made plans. Uh, you're going to leave us high and dry now here. Uh, leave us kind of in shambles again, pushing reset on the coaches search for an offensive coordinator. You can't look at that any other way as that's a bad thing to do. That's a, a messed up thing for anybody to do to put an entire program in that situation. Um, is 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 a bit scatterbrained but like you said before it's a part of his pattern he's done this before he's been at places hightailed it out of there quickly without any explanation as to why or leaving uh you know a plan in place and kind of destroying it before it gets going so again the red flags didn't stop unlv from making the hire didn't stop texas a&m from making the hire how long is the pattern of behavior going to be tolerated at the coaches level? I mean, he's he's making out fine. He's advancing his career just fine. So to what degree can you say it's a negative? It's only through our lens or through outsiders looking in that you can really count it as a negative. Is this embarrassing for UNLV? Is it embarrassing for Barry Odom? I think uh, a little bit of both. Uh, it's embarrassing for UNLV in the fact that this is kind of the worst case scenario when you're talking about coaching, firing, and and rehiring and building a staff. I think you can overcome that. Obviously, there's 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 still time uh, to figure things out. But I, I do think as a program, it, it does seem like there was no plan. And when you make this, you have to backtrack to the previous decision of firing Marcus Royal. Um, when you make a, a, a an aggressive decision like that to fire somebody. Uh, you know, who who's in his third year, going on his fourth, uh, and all indications were that it was an aggressive decision to fire. It would you would hope that there's a plan in place, and there's some pretty solid guarantees going forward um, that that you have a staff or at least a potential staff in mind that's kind of consistent. Um, so that the fact that that's not now going to pan out is a little bit embarrassing for the program. Uh, for Barry Odom, I don't think it's as embarrassing because he's trying to build a staff. And, and, you know, the coaching carousel from position coach to head coach, coordinator, it's it's there's all kinds of possibilities as to what guys are going to do in testing the market free agency. Um, but the fact that UNLV couldn't, I guess, match the salary, I guess, uh, to make salary not a, an enticing factor to pull him away from Texas A&M, I think – does embarrass both him and the the university and in, in to some degree. Um, but here, here's the thing that I, an angle that I was thinking about uh, as the news broke was that Barry Odom, or excuse me, uh, Petrino kind of avoided, and Texas A&M kind of avoided some of the initial hire storylines that would come from this hire. So UNLV, when they hired him and announced the hire, the, the main stories were his history. The allegations uh, or the the misconduct off the field and, and things like that, 
kind of distracting from what he is as a offensive coordinator. Uh, and there's a, a, a large media wave of people bringing up the old question mark of his character, right? Uh, and so UNLV bore the brunt of that and was kind of taking responsibility for it in ownership. And that was kind of the way we talked about it um, through that lens of as of being a risky hire. Now that the Aggies have come in and swiped him after that initial wave, Texas A&M doesn't necessarily get the heat or the uh, risky hire label that UNLV got initially. So it's it's kind of a way that the narrative was spun by Texas A&M because you remember initially Texas A&M was the front runner. It was assumed, I guess, that he was going to be the offensive coordinator for the Aggies early December. I would say that that story started circulating. And so now that UNLV kind of took the heat for the hire, Texas A&M kind of gets to come and claim it. And this is it's it's funny how that parallels what happens a lot of times with recruits, with high value and high name recruits, where the recruit maybe commits early and it's a big news story to a smaller university. And then, you know, Alabama or whoever comes on late and with the offer and it's like, well, I'm out. Here we go. And that's kind of what the storyline follows. It's, it's rare to see it as a coach, but. Uh, I think the impact of this for UNLV and Barry Odom is going to be harder to to manifest an offense and, and get things rolling here in the spring. And it's embarrassing. It's at a high level, uh, but they have plenty of time to recover. And, uh, you know, I'll mention, I think people forget that when Marcus Arroyo arrived at UNLV, he actually hired a chief of staff. Uh, Geiska Crowley eventually moved into that role. Now, why did Geiska move into that role? And by the way, Geiska is uh, gone from UNLV. Now he's at Western Michigan. But Geiska was boosted to that role because Marcus Arroyo hired a football chief of staff. And the first couple of weeks with the UNLV football program for the new staff, there was a lot of tumult, including there was some big snafu with uh, rooms uh, and lodging for the new coaches. And somehow they effed it up. Um, And I'm not saying Arroyo effed it up. The school uh, had some difficulties with it. And they had a guy walk basically two, two and a half, three weeks into starting with UNLV, and I think there were some other reasons. Maybe it went all the way up to the top in terms of uh, dealing with some bosses at the time. But it happened back then. It just wasn't very high profile. But, that you know, that's an embarrassing thing. Someone comes in, and they look around, and three weeks later, they're like, all right, this place, uh, yeah, this is this ain't, this ain't for me. So things happen. They have plenty of time to recover. Now, real-world aspects of this is he has been out recruiting, or at least Bobby Petrino for UNLV, at least had made a lot of suggestions. And they did land a quarterback commit. Now, they had a quarterback commit under Arroyo, a very highly touted kid, a top 50 kid, top 10 in California in uh, Ty Diefenbach, and he was stolen away by Pat Narduzzi in Pittsburgh, by the way, who always complains about, um, you know, big schools stealing players away, so uh, he does the same thing to schools lower and lateral to him, so he needs to shut the hell up, but uh, Diefenbach was replaced with a commit from Florida. That was a Petrino guy, Blake Boda. Um, Boda was being recruited by Missouri State, had uh, offers at least pub- publicly, he mentioned South Florida as well, but you know, was kind of on the cusp of an FCS FBS quarterback. He committed to UNLV, he committed to Petrino. Now Petrino's gone. So, Caleb, you were recruited, you know, pretty heavily. You had some offers both as a walk on, you could have shot even higher than UNLV. What do you think it does to the kid? And, and take us through the whole scenario of do kids commit to schools? or to head coaches or to specific position coaches? I think traditionally uh, kids committed to schools, and that's coming from, you know, kind of an old school mindset where the school 
is the most prevalent name or most recognizable brand, if you will, uh, as far as collegiate success and getting on to the next level, which is the NFL. So the school was more important. I think now what we're seeing is that it's kind of shifted, especially with the coaches carousel kind of speeding up uh, and the transfer portal kind of, you know, opening up people's uh, ability to, to change uh, their decision as far as the school. I think you're seeing more now that the, the coach that recruits you and the coach that you establish a relationship with is now more important. And I would say, honestly, that there was times when, when that was the case in the past as well, where the coach, it's just that coaches that are worth it or that you know have that kind of rapport usually stay at universities for a long time. You can't really think back to I mean, most kids that are being recruited now can't remember a time where Alabama didn't have Nick Saban as their coach, right? Like, and there's things like that that happen. Um, obviously that coaches just last sometimes at university. So they're kind of synonymous, but I think now when you recruit and you get recruited by a guy, there's a couple of things you have to consider. One, did the coach that I was recruited by go to a better school? In other words, a school that's now not going to be within my range, you know, what, what I've earned as far as my talent and my abilities on the field. So in, in the case of, of Blake Bolder, here, here, here's a guy that was committed to UNLV, you mentioned the FCS, FBS kind of caliber guy, at least from a recruiting standpoint. Now the coach that recruited him to UNLV, which is a group of five school, now lands as the offensive coordinator at a power five school. Does does Petrino's recruiting technique still match at Texas A&M? Is, is an offer still on the table for him, uh, for Petrino, the person? Because now he's at a bigger university. So I, I think Petrino's target for recruits changes. So he may have offered you at UNLV, but now that he at Texas A&M, does he still have an offer? Is he still willing to use a scholarship on you at Texas A&M? Does he feel you can get it done there? I don't know. So those are things you have to consider as the recruiters. Like, hey, I would love to follow this person. I would love to keep that relationship going and the things he told me. But then you also realize, like, hey, he only told me that in the context of UNLV and Group of Five right. and Mountain West. Not necessarily – I'm not the guy at SEC. So maybe – I just stay committed to the offer at UNLV to lock up an FBS offer, Division One scholarship, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so those are those are all things that the business of who you are as a college athlete or as a recruit, you know, 18 years old, as young as that is, you're starting to learn business and, and how to negotiate <laughs> yeah. and, and contract yourself and put yourself in the best position to succeed. And that's unfortunately reality of it. But that's the responsibility, right? Like transferring and all that stuff. And marketing yourself is all good and dandy when it's all lights and, and glamour. But the nitty gritty of it is, hey, these are decisions and thought processes that you have to get accustomed to and have to be ahead of. I don't think for Blake Boda, I don't think that Petrino jumping to the Aggies is necessarily a good situation for him to follow Petrino. I don't think, you know, Jimbo Fisher probably has his hands on who he wants as a quarterback, probably has a better lock on that. And unfortunately, he's not. I don't think going to get an offer from Texas A&M. So now he has to either re-enter, you know, say I'm decommitting from UNLV, which is a viable option. Like, Hey, I'm decommitting. I haven't signed anything yet, but make it known that I'm available for the market. And then it's UNLV's job to go re-recruit him again, minus Petrino. And unfortunately right now, minus an offensive coordinator altogether. So it's like, right. It, it, the situation sucks for everybody all around. Yeah, my guess is they have an OC in place in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, when you make these hires, you have lists. So I'm sure they start moving down the list and uh, shoot after who, whoever they were going to shoot after. On Boda, I was told from both sides that right now 
uh, the kids side and UNLV side, um, well, at least UNLV side, that they're going to honor the commitment. Like Barry Odom's not going to pull the the offer. Um, Boda could visit in a couple of weeks, and hopefully they have the OC in place. There's a big recruiting weekend on the 13th and 14th, so you're going to have a bunch of players in. And to my knowledge, Boda's never visited UNLV, so he should do that. Um, he should take advantage of that. So Blake Boda may still you know, be very much involved with UNLV right now. It's up in the air. And uh, yeah, I was told that Petrino did give Boda a call, gave him the heads up, said, Hey, here's, you know, here's the deal. Here's the reason I'm going to Texas A&M. But he also said that um, I don't know the room, the quarterback room yet at Texas A&M. So I, I, I don't know what's going to happen there. I don't know if I can offer you. So, I mean, I think he knows the room well enough. They have, they already have one quarterback commit in this class and it is the number 18 rated quarterback in the country. Uh, coming in, my guess is if they offered Boda, it would be as like a preferred walk-on, which, you know, if you've got FBS offers, I I don't know. I mean, every kid's different, you know. Like you, you've mentioned in the past, you could have done a PWO at Oregon, and maybe you should have done that to just try it, and then you could have transferred. But your era was a different era. Like being mobile and just transferring uh, back then, if you think people piss and moan about it now, imagine, you know, way back when, and you're not that old. But uh, it was different then, right, in terms of, hey, I can go one place, I'll make a run, get the experience, and if I don't like it after a year or two, I just move on and move down. It, w- it was such a new concept then, even for the guys that did pull it off or did go through the scrutiny of it. It was so new that you wouldn't even have thought about that as a decision. I don't remember a time where I was thinking, you know, I'll try it out, and then if I don't like it, I'll, I'll, I'll transfer somewhere else. Or even the bounce-back method, you know, that was kind of a forced thing. And it almost felt like failure at that time, right? Like if it didn't work out at Oregon or wherever you landed – initially and bouncing back to a juco or transferring down to a different school was failing and nobody ever starts their journey thinking about failure right like so that that was not even a thought process but now it's a reality like shopping yourself around exploring opportunities is a real thing and i think everybody uh, all the athletes i guess that are coming out of high school especially should really take it to heart and think it through like what are the pros and cons like you said if do i think and this is part of the the i guess the honesty that you have to have with the self-assessment as an athlete. Do I really think I have a chance to make it to the NFL? That's a question that not enough athletes coming out of high school ask themselves because that has a lot. The answer to that question, like if you say, no, I don't think so, or no, I'm not, not even that I'm not good enough, but I don't think I'm willing to put the work in to get there. Then you start to look at your college choice a little differently. You make your decision on what college to go to a little differently. So, so, Obviously, Alabama is probably the best school to go to if you think you have a chance at the NFL. If you're somebody who's barely teetering FCS to FBS, are you really looking to climb the ladder of FBS and get greedy with your offers? Or can you make it you know, with your work ethic from a lower level of school? Can you have a good college career and be okay with that, be happy with that, and set yourself up for the future outside of football in a better way? These are questions that pridefully a lot of people don't ask themselves coming out of high school. Everybody coming out of high school who's getting recruited thinks they're going to the NFL even though we know the numbers on how not true that is like how the percentage of high school athletes that actually play in the NFL we know we know the data it but you can't convince an 18 year old otherwise so they make these decisions with the idea of playing at the next level in mind when in reality they could possibly I'm not saying everybody should but you could make a better decision with the idea that I'm going to have a great college career uh, set myself up financially, network at a great location with business and et cetera, et cetera, 
academics in mind with a full scholarship, no student loan debt, which is a massive problem in this country right now. Those th- those things being more of a factor than next level play or playing in a power five school, I think would help people make a, a better decision initially, one that they're more comfortable with and less likely to opt out of in the future. Caleb Herring, Steve Cofield, UNLV All Access Podcast. So let's talk about some positives because, uh, you know, some of the conversation has been negative with uh, Bobby Petrino just moving on yesterday as we taped this on a Thursday. And we'll find out more about uh, some of the early commits like uh, and it's just a verbal commit like Blake Boda, the quarterback out of Florida. Boy, all the panic that ensued when, you know, there was a, a decent sized gap uh, before they hired uh, one Barry Odom, all the panic over the transfer portal. That's kind of calmed down, hasn't it? I mean, if you're looking for a positive sign, the fact that Odom came in and calmed the waters, because we saw potentially five starters go into the transfer portal. Um, also going in was Noah McKinney, who's you know more of an upside guy, and Noah, a uh, Coronado dude, uh, landed at Oklahoma State. Lee Fountaineau, the center, landed at Arizona State. Noah Williams, one of the starting quarterbacks, landed at Cal uh, Kyle Williams hasn't made any sort of comment. By the way, Aiden Robbins lands at BYU. And let me restate that. Kyle Williams has not made a commit, which I think is a really good sign for UNLV, which means he's seriously considering, I would guess, staying around at UNLV. So that's a good sign that the, the you know, you didn't have 20 guys going to the portal right away. Now, in the end, there may be 20 guys who go into the portal. It's going to be really interesting here. I want to talk about recruiting approach. Uh, before we get to what UNLV can do in the portal in terms of pulling guys out. First of all, the fact that Petrino is gone, I wonder, like, how does Odom – you can't exactly replicate what Petrino was going to bring to the offense because whoever you hire as an OC will probably have a little bit different philosophy. But would you guess that the basic uh, tenets of the offense, what Odom is looking for, the next person will be pretty close to Petrino? Because my concern is you have offers out. Um, and at certain positions, you know, you're recruiting certain types of players. How does that work now when Odom picks a new OC? Does a new OC come in and go, wait a second, that guy you offered is 5'8", 175? That ain't the kind of guy I want in my offense. Yeah, I think those are the key things, right? Like you look at the physical makeup, the athleticism of guys, and you say, does this fit my offensive style? And, and fortunately, the, that is a thing that can kind of – translate throughout different systems like the plays might be different the design of things might be different but if the players are consistent like you can recruit consistently across different offensive schemes so for instance if you're if you're recruiting to a tight end heavy offense where you're requiring your tight ends to be on the field a lot two tight end sets uh, they're required to block and be receivers there's a certain build there's a certain type of athlete that fits that different offenses have that and feature that in their offense and i just think about two of the top offenses in the nation with or top teams where you talk about Michigan and Georgia both are highly intense tight end offenses but there's different coordinators or different plays or different schemes that you drop but the recruits that you land are of the same cloth right it's like the tight ends have to be athletic big you know you can throw Notre Dame in that category of, of tight end heavy offenses uh, then you go to other offenses that are more receiver heavy where it's like Ohio State TCU those names are like the, the athletes that are required to run that system are similar. So you can, you know, put different athletes in those systems, um, but the system is different and who calls the plays is different. So I think you can still, and then there's, there's positions like offensive line 
where everybody's essentially looking for the same thing on offensive linemen, right? There's there's size, obviously the weight, there's length, and then there's footwork. Those, those are things that are kind of physical attributes that you have to recruit regardless of what your offensive scheme is going to be. And I think can I, can finds I, himself in that position. I wanted to jump in here because that was one of the concerns. Vance Weiss has been out there. He's a new offensive line coach. Um, I have. I assume he has some autonomy. Odom is saying, hey, this is the offense we're going to run. They thought they were going to run a certain offense with Petrino. I just wonder with offensive linemen, you know, if you start recruiting a certain guy, because let's go back to Arroyo's era. It felt to me like the Arroyo era was with offensive linemen was more about athleticism. It wasn't necessarily about size, and they didn't mind having guys who were 280, 290, not 325 on the field. Um, and a lot of their backups, not a lot, but – they have, they have a good number of backups who are the 310-pounders, the 320-pounders, and none of them were really breaking through. I wonder what Odom is looking for and what Vice has been recruiting because Vice has a ton of you know high-level offers out for 2024s, but a lot of the guys who I think are mostly going to be walk-ons and guys coming out of the transfer portal, I wonder if he's been looking for a certain kind of lineman and a new OC could change it, but you, you seem to be suggesting that it, it it shouldn't throw off their general plan that much with a new OC. No, I don't think so. I think uh, with offensive line, you, you mentioned it. There's a lot of lateral movement for UNLV last year that I think required a different skill set for the linemen. Um, and it's funny because you look back at Oregon, and this is one of the examples of it, uh, the way they had success, you know, going back to the Chip Kelly days, was they had a more athletic offensive line. They were built to go fast and – uh, run a lot of plays throughout the course and not wear down. They changed their recruiting philosophy philosophy in the last you know, five or ten years, I guess. And it's more of a power offensive line where there's big heavies up front and they can move the line of scrimmage with just sheer power. And there's gap schemes as opposed to zone schemes. Not a lot of double teams up front. Um, so that's the benefit. That's the difference. So I, I don't think with UNLV talking about it, I don't think what they're recruiting for offensive line-wise uh, and, and the caliber of recruit that they're going to be able to land, I don't think you change much about the recruit you're going to land. Um, it's going to be more interesting to me, and this is part of the dilemma with waiting for an offensive coordinator because a lot of this is going to be based on the run game you're going to have. <clears throat> with Aiden Robbins now gone and the stable of running backs you currently have, I would say it's more suited for an offensive system that is more lateral and based in athleticism. Uh, with zone concepts instead of downhill running like Aiden Robbins was good at. Um, so with, you know, thinking about who's it at running back right now with Courtney Reese and Young Humphreys, these are smaller running backs. You're not necessarily going to run it down the line of scrimmage power eye top style. Um, maybe not a lot of fullbacks and, and stuff like that. But that maybe affects the offensive line more than necessarily who the offensive coordinator is, your own personnel. And having all of it lined up, especially when you counter or add the fact that you have a mobile quarterback, at least right now, in Doug Brumfield. Uh, so there's some schemes that you're probably thinking of or have in mind that are more athletic-based on the offensive line. You're not going to line up an under center running you know, power eye downhill with the, with the personnel around the offensive line. Uh, and that's what I would be focused more on than who the offensive coordinator is. And I, I would figure that that has a lot to do with who the offensive coordinator is going to be, is who the personnel you have Right now, you can't be, you know, designing an offense uh, and hoping that the people you have can make it work. I think you need to flip it in the reverse. Who do we have in the locker room now? Who's here? Who's in the building? Who do we have signed, sealed, delivered? Um, can we get an offensive coordinator that has a system in place or in mind for that group of kids? And can we build a system that fits them best? Uh, 
and then go from there with recruiting the next levels and filling whatever gaps you have left. I think that's the strategy. Um, unfortunately, you can't just walk into UNLV and say, you know, like Deion Sanders and, and other coaches elsewhere are doing and say, hey, we're going to reconstruct this whole roster and get the recruits we want, you know, at an 80 to 90 percent clip and build it the way we want it. That's not that's not the reality for UNLV and for Coach Odom right now, especially with what to happen with Petrino. You're going to have to make some adjustments to what you want it to be as far as your scheme and make it fit your personnel a little bit more. This has got to be such a crazy time for players on the UNLV roster because, you know, I, I've seen probably eight or ten guys have been pretty active on Twitter. Um, LPJ, one of the cornerbacks who was brought in, he was a transfer in from Utah. Uh, LaCaria Pleasant-Johnson basically sent something out uh, saying, I don't care who they bring in, like I'm not afraid of competition. Um, I wonder what guys are thinking right now. Uh, you went through a coaching change. What is it like in the locker room for the players? Because on one hand, I think guys who felt like they were in good standing with the Arroyo staff and those assistant coaches, they could look at it like, oh, man, I wonder what's going to happen with this new staff. But then there's guys, like another guy I've seen active, and I, I don't know that I'd ever seen him tweet before, is Jordan Jakes, who is was always one of the more intriguing players on the UNLV roster. He's 6'6", six, six, he's 217. Um, he never really broke through. With Arroyo, even though Arroyo brought him in from Indiana, uh, that they, then there's that guy who wasn't in good standing and had just fallen way down the depth chart. So what is it like for the players when there's a coaching change? Because all of a sudden, everything you did, a lot of what you did prior in terms of establishing yourself, now you've got a new boss. you got to start over. That That's the reality of it. And it it's, can be a positive or a negative, depending on what what your standing was with the previous coaches is that you have a new beginning and you have a chance to, you know, which is a rarity in life anywhere to reestablish and make a first impression again. And with a new coaching staff, whether it's through the interview process, just talking and, and, and vocalizing some things or just your work ethic, how now you're going to approach the off season and, and be a leader in the locker room. All of those things now are open and you have the, the ability now to reset your career in a lot of ways. If you run, if you risk it and stay around, um, the, the the notion that you're going to stay and LPJ said this, and I, I said the same thing when I was in college and there was a coaching transition, whoever the new guy is, whoever they bring in, I don't care. I'm going to compete. I'm going to be better than him and I'm going to earn my place on the field. The reality of that is you realize that the best players, and this is as, this is as bluntly as I can put it, the best players don't always end up on the field. They don't always get the playing time. A lot of it has to do with a coach understanding that when he comes and takes a job, his job is on the line. Most people in the world are going to put the guy they know on the field and, and go down. If they're going to go mm. down, they're going to go down doing it their way uh, with their guys, with their best hand on the field that they feel will work for them. So who gets lost in the shuffle? Those guys that say, I'm going to stay, I'm going to compete, and I'm going to win because the best man will win. That ain't always the case. And I think you look at the best programs, there is no loyalty to, to a player. Uh, you look at, you know, going back to Nick Saban with Tua and Jalen Hurts, the, the scrutiny and the ability for Nick Saban to make the decision to bench Jalen Hurts, who was his guy. He recruited him for in favor of another guy. That's the kind of, I guess, disloyalty, if you want to put it that way, that produces better teams. Because it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done for in the past. It matters if you're getting the job done today. 
And you have to be willing to make that decision as a coach. So as a player in this situation, you're taking a huge risk with that mentality of saying, I'm going to compete and I'm going to be the best man. And that's how I'm going to get on the field. And it doesn't matter. No, it does. You, if, if the coach doesn't really like you or just has a better guy in mind for that position, your days are numbered. And that's the harsh reality of the business, especially when you get to positions like quarterback, where there's only one that really plays. Right. And that's unfortunately where I was at, where it's like, hey, there's only one guy who's going to get the nod at the end of the day. So if you want to compete, that's fine. But it's an unspoken truth in some situations where it doesn't matter how good you are. My guy's playing. I'm bringing a court. And you look at Deion Sanders, what he said to Colorado. Hey, where's my son at? That's your quarterback. Do you really want to stay and compete or <laughs> try to be better than him? No, absolutely right. not. Like, right. And by, and by the way. One of the, one of the quarter one of the guys in the quarterback room at Colorado did leave, had pretty good playing time there. I think started thirteen games. He's now landed at Nevada and has a good chance to be the Nevada starting quarterback. Um, I'll say one: all of this is real life. Bosses change all the time in real jobs. This is real life training. So uh, these kids, whether they can handle it or not, they're going to learn to handle it, and they're going to learn that hey, this is real life. I'll give you a good example. Um, I've been doing this for like twenty five years. Uh, you know, we, we had a, we had an old program director who, you know, you, you have program directors that changes, it could change every four years. And, and guess what? Just because you're on the air and the previous PD had your back and liked you doesn't mean the next one will. And I remember talking to, uh, the, the program director, a newer program director, it's not our current program director, but at one point after like a month or so, uh, the per, you know, the guy in a meeting was like, yeah, that person on your show, I don't get it. Don't like him. Don't get it. I'm like, okay, well. I'm going to have to tell that staffer that, uh, you know what, doesn't like you right now. So you're going to have to work hard and hopefully you can, you know, prove the person wrong. But that's, it happens, man. You know, it happens uh, with real jobs. Uh, there should be pretty healthy competition. I mean, I think it's pretty clear so far that they definitely want competition in the offensive line because they've offered a good number of 2023s who are in the portal, but it's mostly guys from lower levels. Um, it's. Uh, I thought it was really interesting. They offered a Princeton grad transfer. That's that's quite the move from Princeton to UNLV. Nothing against UNLV, but it's a different level of football and certainly a different culture in school. Um, so I think the O line is going to have a lot of competition. I think wide receiver is going to have some competition. Linebacker has to have competition because Ajake is gone, and that room is pretty much wide open. So I wonder what happens to guys who I think were next in line, like Marcel McDuffie and uh, Jordan Eubanks. Uh, there'll be competition at cornerback. There's going to be competition. This was already going to happen at kicker. I think it's very interesting. Uh, James Shebass, the special teams coach, is throwing out offers left and right. He's got Chucos with preferred walk-on. He offered the starting uh, kicker at Colorado, the starting kicker at California, who are both in the portal, offered those guys, I'm guessing, a scholarship or at least uh, something that has extreme help. So, it's, uh, it's going to be wide open at a lot of positions, and we're going to find out here when things open back up on the 13th really what they're looking for in terms of immediate help. Yeah, I think there's some, answer, I think there's some, some answers with Gutierrez being, you know, going to the next level, which I think he'll, he'll land somewhere. Um, but to replace that consistency is going to be interesting. I think as far as field goals kicked, how big was he last year and throughout his career really? Uh, to, to be able to rely on that. So filling that position is going to now be a scholarship that you have to think about. And you don't want the woes of what it's like to have a bad kicker because you saw what that gets you. I mean, 
Ohio State is probably wishing that they had a Gutierrez on scholarship, right? So that you want to get that right, at least, as far as the recruits go. Um, and, and all the competition across the board is, I think, healthy in a, to a certain level. If everybody approaches it with the right mindset, understanding that, you know, uh, the best guy will get in or wh- what have you be the issue, uh, as long as it's healthy within the team, there's no such thing as a safe job. I think if you had to go from top to bottom to the roster, there's only, I would say, maybe one spot that's, that's safe from competition at this point with the way the transfer portal has gone. I would have said Leaf's job was safe at center, but Doug is the only guy that I would say has it locked up. It, should he stay in last year's spring or whatever? I think Doug Brumfield is the only guy. It's funny how that's the complete opposite of, of what it's been for the last three years as far as competition. That's been the most competitive room as far as quarterbacks go for the last couple of years. It hasn't been solidified, so that will maybe be a benefit. But you look at the defensive side, which is more important. I think the gaps in the defense and trying to figure out through competition who's going to fill those spots, especially inside linebacker, um, I think is going to be a huge competition. Um, What I didn't expect to be a competition was a cornerback room um, because I thought Noel had a chance to be the best in the conference at the end of his career when it was all said and done. He's one, he, in my opinion, still is one of the better cornerbacks I've seen in recent years. But now that he's gone, that opens up a vacancy and an, an important vacancy because there was a lot of times where the coverages were dictated by the fact that you were just going to put Noel on an island. And I haven't seen anybody else survive on the island or, or compete on the island as far as the secondary goes in, in the cornerback room. There's guys, there's names that are out there. You got Cam Oliver, who's, who's, who's made some plays. Um, I don't know if Jure can make a transition to outside corner as successfully. Um, I think DJ Harris is, is, or BJ Harris is one of those guys who, who made a name for himself at the end. But is he really the guy you're going to put to the boundary one-on-one versus the other team's best receiver? I don't know. So there's a lot to no leaving that opens up that competition that you wouldn't have expected going into the spring or going into the winter to, to be trying to figure out at that spot. Um, but it, it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be – it's an opportunity, no, no, no matter how you look at it, for somebody to separate themselves uh, with the right attitude, with the right work ethic, to be a guy that climbs up and has some upward mobility within the roster. Um, maybe a name that we don't even think about that hasn't come to mind yet. Like you said, one of the up-and-comers at linebacker who, who, who maybe was projected to be somebody in the future, maybe they take a big step forward because of the new opportunity with the new staff the new mindset of Barry Odom where you can bet that the defensive competition is going to be more heavily scrutinized by the head coach. And I'm not saying that Marcus Arroyo didn't even ignore the defense, but I'm saying he was very much more focused on offense and producing and monitoring the quarterback competition specifically. Whereas I think Barry Odom is going to have a very much vested interest in watching the defense develop and seeing who's really earning it on that side of the ball. So guys like Fred Tompkins, who was, you know, one of the projections for me to be a guy that developed, who saw some reps at the end of the season with the Royal, maybe the potential and his abilities get uh, highlighted a little bit more with Barry Odom and his staff, where it's like, hey, this is a guy we want on the field because, you know, he's next in line for it. If I were a linebacker, and you you just mentioned Tompkins, um, and along with the Eubanks and McDuffie, uh, I would be ready for competition because you've got a head coach who is a former linebacker, and D.C. The D.C., who's coming in from Arkansas, is a former linebacker. Um, If I were to make a prediction, and I don't have any real insight on this, if I were to make a prediction, if people are looking for, you know, names from Power 5 to move over to UNLV, and I'm talking about players, I would expect more of the big banger 
um, type commits are going to be on defense. That's just that's just a guess. But I also think it's the area that is going to need more help. They lost they lost some pretty good players. And when you think about it, Arroyo really did build this last team with a lot of guys who were essentially one and done, guys who were filling spots. Now, Brennan Scott coming back, if he comes back 100%, man, that's a great building block for Odom and company. But uh, I would expect because Odom has been recruiting to the defense that he knows a lot of kids who may be somewhere who aren't playing or may move over. That's just my guess. I, I would say the, the Rolodex for that scenario is is probably the biggest benefit for having – Barry Odom and the scenario where you say I recruited this guy heavy maybe a couple years ago and I'm looking at where he's at now he's kind of getting stepped over a lot he's not on the field he's not playing but I remember his skill set I remember his size let me take a look and see if he's interested in transfer portal that I think is a is one of the markets that a lot of coaches have scooped into and and, and uh, taking a dive into um, but the, like you said th- those are going to be more defensive names now with with Barry Odom. And I agree 100% with that prediction that Barry Odom is going to have an offense built up that, you know, it's going to be filled with some fines, you know, names that we may do, maybe don't recognize um, for UNLV's purposes. But when you do some research, I mean, say, hey, this guy had some recruits coming out of high school. This guy was the deal at JUCO, and he did a lot of successful things. I think we look at the offensive side for UNLV and the names, I guess, and at least initially that they were able to land from a recruiting standpoint with Marcus Arroyo, those were bigger names offensively. And you think about guys like uh, like Kyle Williams, who was the freshman of the year for UNLV. You think about uh, even, you know, going to quarterback with, with Cam Friel um, and Jade Maiava, who was a, kind of a big name at quarterback that found his way to UNLV. Uh, those kind of things were more offensive focused, whereas the defense was more built through, uh, like you said, the one-name guys and the project guys. I, I thought about something. Imagine if UNLV didn't lose some of the people that they lose lost in recruiting. And this is, this is the difference between getting guys to the door through recruiting. So you found a guy uh, who transferred, who was your best defensive player a couple of years ago uh, in Winman. And if Winman stays, and then you have a, a guy like uh, – Austin Ajike added to that. The defense last year could have been light years better. No Williams now, who's one of the best corners. You had all three levels there kind of built up through recruiting and the guys you got through the door. Right. Retention becomes a part of it. So now Noel's gone. Winman's gone. One of the other guys at the safety level who's who's a huge get, I think, is, is Baldwin, who's going to have – Jonathan Baldwin's going to have a great career. He's, he's already you know on Twitter and social media – in the lab, as they call it, working on his game and getting better. He's going to be a freak at safety, especially at the group of five level. His commitment to UNLV. Though, just keeping those names intact, how good could the defense have been from position to position last year? Right. So now it's about retention. Can you retain the guys that you're getting to the door? You're getting talent. Can you retain them? Can you develop them? And can you make them better? That's going to be the task. I, I do think, though, there's going to be some splashes on defense where it's like, hey, that guy's a, a power five bounce back, a grad transfer maybe even that has the potential um, because Barry Odom has a relationship with him with all the defensive minds that they've brought in that you mentioned. There's a lot of history there with recruiting defense and knowing uh, having a role that extra players should go through. I would not be surprised if after the next cycle of transfer portal, 
uh, uh, or the next cycle of the transfer portal, that there's a big name or two that comes on the defensive yep. side that's like, hey, that changes a lot. Yeah, I was looking at uh, transfer portal for Arkansas, and I, I didn't realize how many players had gone into the portal. For the Hogs, uh, at least nine players on that defense have gone, and there's some really high-profile guys. I don't know if you know if he's going to get those guys, but at least nine defensive players have gone into the transfer portal. So let's put a wrap on this one. Uh, hopefully later in the month we're going to uh, start getting some of the new coaches on. We'll get some updates from Barry Odom. I know we have uh, potentially in the work something big in early February, but uh, I'd, I'd like to get something going with uh, more updates, uh, some face-to-face interviews. So we'll try to get that done here in the next couple of weeks around UNLV football, but uh, fired up time. I, I'd be jacked up, uh, excited for what's going to happen here, see what the new roster looks like. And the spring's so, you know, so much closer than uh, you can even imagine. Uh, time flies in the world of college football. Caleb, good job. We'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Have a good week.